Hey! Hey! Music, a podcast. Stevie Wonder. Early or late? It's a playlist. Why do you always ask questions like that? Oh, pardon me. Early or late? Hey, I haven't got any marking to do tonight. Beth's just said that she'd look after Bertie. Ooh, we've got a Beth wish. Only tonight, though. No Beth in the afternoon. Oh, it's a Beth trap. You heard that they're going to Italy? Beth in Venice. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that has serious concerns that Tommy O has been brought in to spearhead an STI epidemic on the street and can only hope that Dr. Gaddas is well stocked up in the topical creams. I'm Gavin. And everybody hates me. Yay. Yay. I don't. I'm ambivalent. Oh, 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 oh. Not oh, true. Can this marriage be saved? <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> I love you so much. Uh, I love you too. Oh, Tune in next week still. <laughs> Please do though. Tune in next week. Yes, absolutely. Tune in next week. <clears throat> anyway, how was your week? <laughs> how was my week? Your your boss took you out to dinner. No, he didn't. Oh, the company took you out to dinner. No, they didn't. Did you have to pay for your dinner? I did. What the fuck? I was missold. On the same day that my boss bought me lunch and told me everyone hates me. Not everyone hates you. <laughs> no, just the women. <laughs> well. Anyway. <laughs> see, I didn't think you were bothered about this. And now the fact that you've mentioned it, I think that you are bothered about it. And maybe we should talk about it some more. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really bothered by it. Because well, that's, that's, that means that you are. <laughs> no. Not really. I'm not really. I don't really care that you ate all the all the donuts. That means that you do care. <laughs> Still stunned that you put whipped cream on an apple fritter. It needed some cream. <laughs> was the, That's what she said. It looked a little bit dry. That's what she said. <laughs> it needed some of my creamy goodness. <laughs> That's what she said. Here we go. That's the three. We can stop that now. Uh, but not you, loyal listeners. You all love me. <laughs> Write in to tell me how much you love me and Gav. Yeah, well, if you fancy. <laughs> yeah, this hasn't bothered you at all. It really doesn't because it's not the first time people have hated me for no reason except for maybe the way that I talk. They think you're aloof. They think I'm aloof, yes. Oh, and one of them thinks you're aloof. Yeah, one of them thinks I'm aloof and the other one... Got the job because of the first one. So even though she and I have mutual friends who I'm sure have told her that I'm a nice person and a good well, person. Well, hope. Right. You know, she's, she's backing up the one who thinks I'm aloof and condescending. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I'm just from Connecticut. <laughs> we all sound like this. I'm not condescending. <laughs> 
how on earth did you get that idea? No, it just reminds me. Remember when we first moved here? Or we hadn't even moved here yet. And, you know, strangers would talk to us and say hello and good morning. Just people walking out of the Walmart. Yeah. You know, and just being overly nice. And it weirded us out because neither of us are from a place where people do that. No. I think I found it nice, though. I think you found it threatening. Well, and then we actually moved here... And everyone in town treated us with suspicion. And even though we invited everyone in Stelly's class to her first birthday party here, only one child showed up. And then when Benny was invited to a birthday party, I got a phone call that the party was canceled. And then when I went to bring the present that we'd already bought to the other child's house, I knocked on the door. They opened it. I said, hi, I have a present I'm Benny's mom. I have a present. And they slammed the door shut in my face. (laughs) So people in the Midwest are overly friendly to strangers. But if you move here, you are treated with suspicion and you're not considered a local unless your family's been here for four generations. Just in case anybody was thinking of moving to the Midwest. That's really how we want to open this episode. (laughs) You said you wanted to talk about it more. No, you said that you wanted to talk <laughs> about it more. I said I was fine. Everyone thinks that I'm a fucking delight. So it all, <laughs> it's it true. all balances out. It's true to the point where waitresses forget I exist and don't bring me my food. That's because they think you're condescending. <laughs> that hasn't it all happened. comes back to that. It ha- that hasn't happened in a long time. That or, you know, waitresses constantly touching you. Is this really how we're starting this episode? This is really how we're starting this episode. <sighs> Fuck's sake. So, so, men of Scotland, if you are lonely and you can't find anyone to date in Scotland... Wait a minute, where are you going with us? Move to America, because apparently all it takes is an accent. I like to think I'm more than an accent. <laughs> I also have a beard. <laughs> and he's not talking about me. <laughs> or am I... <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that. I really wish we'd started with something different. Corey News. Will Roach has been having some bankruptcy issues, and as a result, will be going on tour at the age of 91 in a show called An Evening with William Roach, colon, the best of his life and times. Tickets are £20. The bankruptcy tour. The bankruptcy tour. Only a 91-year-old man could think up that title and think that it's a good title for a show. (laughs) Yeah, apparently he made some uh, questionable investments Mm. and seems to be paying the price for it, which is a shame at his age. Seriously. 91. He says he still wants to be on the show at the age of 100. And it's like... What's going on at home, Will? Yeah, he's got some dory meat to make here to clear these debts, so... I guess so. Sally Dinever is taking a vacation on our side of the pond, visiting daughter Phoebe in the most relaxing place on Earth, Los Angeles, oh. California. I thought she might be going to Disney World or... Well, she might be going to Disneyland or... Who knows? Las Vegas. Yes, because that's even more relaxing. Mm-hmm. 
did you did you listen to stuff the stuff you should know about Las Vegas this week? I thought it was very interesting. It was very good. It was very good. I enjoyed it. Still, we'll never go to Las Vegas. And finally, condolences to Jude Reardon and family on the death of his great grandmother, Sheila Bolton. It's that was a wee shame. It is a wee shame, you know, especially around this time of year, so close after Christmas. I remember when my great grandmothers died, and you know, it's a wee shame because they're always kind of the best. My great grandmothers both died long before I was born because I'm Scottish. That's true. But I had a very close relationship with my grandparents on my mother's side, and it sounded very much like that was the case with Jude. He said that she was the reason why he loves old people. Mm-hmm. Which is sweet. Because grandparents are there to spoil their, their grandchildren. Yes. And Either that or try to indoctrinate them into the Republican Party. Let's, let's hope <laughs> that it was the former for, for Jude. I'm sure it was. I'm sure yeah, it was. Yeah, that's a wee shame. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And that seamlessly leads us into our feedback section, which I like to call Everyone's a Critic. I'm, I'm currently working through uh, cataloging a whole bunch of... Science. Oh, really? No, you don't. Delayed auction talk! You usually have done this like four minutes ago, five minutes ago. Right, yeah, but it's the, the music reminded me. Oh, it did? Yeah, because I'm currently work. I, I'm I'm almost finished. Monday I will be finished cataloging a massive collection of of vintage science fiction pulp magazines from the 1950s and listening to uh the christmas on mars music just reminds me of how delightful that's been this is why they hate you <laughs> <laughs> noel wrote in to say hello from my fortress of solitude <laughs> it is it has indeed been a while. I hope you're both happy. You asked for an interesting love triangle and you got a three-way, but not like that, between a brother, a sister and the sister's girlfriend. Thank Christ that's all over. Now you have a married couple both pining for the same footballer. So that's my favourite couple. Kicked to the curb. Christ on a cracker, Daisy. You're half owner of a pub. Learn to pull a decent pint. Yeah, seriously, learn the, Especially this week. And, and when someone asks for premium, don't give them mild. While you glare at that plaque, girl. Speaking of whom, does London turn everyone into a raging bitch? Henceforth, Craigie shall be known as Stinker Tinker. And now, the song of the week. Ed didn't start the fire. It was always burning while his back was turning. Well done. I was thinking the same thing. I was singing the same song in my head during that episode. You've missed me, haven't you? I have. And lastly, I love but not like that. And just like you two lovelies, it's a highlight of my week. I suggest we put it to a vote amongst your regular listeners. Obviously, mine is for it. Cheers from your biggest fan from somewhere. <laughs> Thank you very much, Noel. Feedback is always welcome. Send that us has your cheered thoughts, me up immensely. And I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are always open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Sharon for her coffees this week. Thank you, Sharon. Sharon! Sharon, <laughs> Sharon a.k.a. Cobbledygook. <laughs> Sharon!
Bobby! Bone! Sharon says, really enjoy listening to your mad, mad podcast. One can assume you will not have those same sentiments this week. I am drinking back to the old Canada Dry mm. and uh, Cherry Vanilla Coke Zero. You're drinking both at the same time? Not simultaneously, but they're both open. Mm. Yeah, cranberry juice. As always. Ozzy Osbourne is one of the few celebrities I've met in real life. Apropos of what? Of me shouting Sharon like Ozzy Osbourne. Like Ozzy Osbourne? Yes. That was your Ozzy Osbourne impression? That is. I had no idea. <laughs> That's why I felt like I had to tell you. Yes. <laughs> and Sharon. Just to hold up a card in future. <laughs> It'll save us time. Thank you, Sharon, so much for our coffees. The talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on YouTube's. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And I do see a couple more ratings have come through since last week's appeal. Ooh. It can take a few days before any reviews show up, so hopefully we'll have... Are they high ratings, A couple though? of them as well. It's, I think it's bumped us up to a 4.6 from a 4.5, so what well, one would assume. Okay. Who, who rates podcasts anything other than five? If you, after listening to the Maria Menounos podcast one time heel squad yes rated it you would not rate it a five no but i didn't rate it no but if you did choose to do so you wouldn't rate it a five i wouldn't rate it a five but lots of people have rated it a five uh-huh. the family of maria menounos one would assume <laughs> but if you don't like something you just don't bother rating it yeah. anyway there's lots of people who do bother rating things that they hate well we've got three star reviews who gives a podcast, a three-star review. Do they give us a three-star review and explain why? My novel uh-huh. got a three-star review on Goodreads. And the guy that reviewed it said, the ending moved me to tears. Uh-huh. And he gave me a fucking three-star review. Yeah. If I made you cry, give me four stars at least. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, <coughs> I, got a th- I, got a, I got a three-star review uh, from someone who I sold something to, who said, item came safely and is great and is just as described, <laughs> but she used plastic bags as as filler around it. What's up with that? And what's up with that is, I'm trying to save the planet by giving plastic bags a second use, you cunt. This is why they hate you. <laughs> and now... A very early use of the word cunt. And we haven't used that very often in this podcast. We, don't. we really don't. We really don't. So I don't use it ever in real life. So let's draw a line under that. Okay. And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Dirty Shirley. 
a dirty Shirley is a dirty Shirley temple, which is something that our son ordered at trivia last night. That's right. This was the women folk complaining about Max as Leanne made them all drinks, including a woo-woo for you and a dirty Shirley. Yes, yeah. that's, that's those aren't two words that sound good in a Scottish accent. What dirty Shirley? Dirty Shirley. <laughs> Say source code. Source code. <laughs> That was Gavin, and you didn't cry at the episode three of The Last of Us. I didn't. I didn't. It was a delightful episode, and I love it to bits, but I didn't cry. It was a long week outside of Corrie with little to show for it, but your first auction of 550 lots was coming up. Auction talk still wasn't an official thing at this point. Simpler days. We talked a lot about friends who chawed tobacco and the different government health warnings on cigarette packets in different countries. And we practically lived in bowling alleys, and we, we still, still do, do at this time of year. <laughs> this was the first week of me doing Justin Stockings rides again on the guitar. I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> what was plans to avenge Scylla's death are put into action, which leads to tense times between Kirk and a pink biscuit. Daisy is shocked when her stalker gets her private number and tracks her down to a wedding fair dressing room, while David is running around pushing his uncle around a bit, trying to secure funds for a lawyer. Max has plans of his own. Alia struggles to adapt to normal life following her terrifying ordeals over the last few weeks. Gemma is disappointed with Chesney's attitude to their wedding and worries that she's never going to have her special day. And now she's wishing that she never did. Eileen returns with gifts for George and Todd, which results in Lawrence getting thrown some business. Remember Lawrence? I remember. Dev pretends to be happy when Bernie is offered a trial to join the ladies' golf team at his club. Nick is concerned as he watches Damon get his feet under the table with the bistro and his family. Justin has a snazzy cagoule, Tracy doesn't do freebies, and Glenda oh, opens other now. people's mail. Our moment of the week was Daisy reading the riot act to PC Tinker. That was very good. Mm. And the boring moment of the week was Eileen teaching George Thai words. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time last year. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. How was your break? It was alright. It's a ghost. I found it very relaxing. <laughs> we only have a couple of episodes to talk about this week. I know. Isn't it great when Coronation Street gives us a gift like this when, <laughs> and reduces its output by a third? Right, yes. And then everybody else isn't as grateful as we are and, and riot in the streets and start burning down the rovers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of couches on fire in England today. That's true. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is, do you want to bet? On Monday, in Nina's roles, Ed and Didi are picking over the bones of the insurance documentation. She reckons it'll clear him of all his debt, and then she hears herself and has to confirm with him that it was an accident. How could you ask me something like that when Michael could have died, says Ed. <laughs> that was a good, that was a good Ed wasn't impersonation. Bad. Wasn't bad, was it? Didi quickly backtracks, but Ed doesn't blame her for thinking of the worst. Swain. So the police station Swain has a bit of reading for PC Tinker to do. It's the fire brigade's report from the builder's yard fire. Back home, Ed and Dee Dee make a fuss of Michael on account of him nearly dying. Michael is pleased that Ed is back in the house now. And then there's a knock at the door, and it's Tinker, about to piss on everyone's parade. And he asks Ed to accompany him to the station to answer some questions about how the fire started. Tinker gets a bit arsy at Michael for having the audacity to ask if Ed is under suspicion. But Ed and Deezy go with PC arsehole without complaint. So in the interview room, Swain says that an, an accelerant was found in the yard. 
it explains that it's a builder's yard that's full of accelerants and it was uh, some white spirits that he knocked over and while he's up to his tits in debt and while he's insured up to those same tits he did not start the fire on purpose yes it was always burning since the world's been turning Swain. So on the way out, they give Tinker a piece of their mind. Tinker, though, remembers that he's corrupt and that he could have turned a blind eye to the Christmas present thefts a little while ago. And, well, maybe he shouldn't have done that after all. Michael could have died and this investigation will continue. Back home, and Michael's been doing some thinking. Yeah, he has. He's frantic, and when Ed explains what happened at the police station about how the police think that he did it, Michael thinks it's an open and shut case now. Gary pulls out. But not like that. And all of a sudden, the yard burns down and the insurance pays off the debts. He's sick of the damage Ed continues to do to this family. And he wishes Ed was dead. As someone who has occasionally had the same sentiment, (laughs) I really feel for Michael because it's an awful thing to say out loud. I've never said it out loud. You kind of did there. Right, yes, but not to his face. No. From a purely sociological point of view and not an emotional, familial point of view, he's not wrong. A lot of their problems would be solved if Ed was deceased. Well, or or he had a better control over his gambling addiction. Right, which he has proven he does not have. Hmm. I'm sure there are better there are better ways to handle this situation than Ed being deceased, but it would solve a lot of problems if Ed was deceased. I hope this does not mean that later on Ed will be deceased and then Michael will have a lot of guilt. I feel for Michael in these two episodes because an awful lot of shit is thrown at him for being very sensible and and reacting to him almost dying in a fire Mm -hmm. that was possibly set by his dad in a real in a real way. You know, I think everybody would react this way if their dad almost killed them with a fire. Accidentally or not. I think you maybe choose your words carefully, but in the heat of the moment, that's not always possible. No. And let's remember, he was already pissed at his dad for them almost losing their house and gambling debts. Right. And presents going, quote unquote, missing, you know. So, I don't know. And Michael does know about that. Michael knows about the Christmas presents. Right, yep. Everybody. So, yeah, it feels like he was kind of within his rights to be, certainly to be angry. Mm -hmm. And certainly to be as angry as he was prior to his rescue, which now feels tainted because he's been rescued from a manufactured fire. Right. Or so he thinks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, I think you just be very careful about saying things like that out loud. Right. Delia is shocked. May God forgive you, she says. Ed swears it was an accident. Then swear on Glory's life. But Ed can't. Nope. How did it come to this, says Ed. It's only a blessing. Mum's not here, says Michael, as Dee Dee and Ed leave. And once they're gone, a teary Michael gets on the phone to Aggie, and she thinks it's Nick. <laughs> After a brief sojourn to Nina's roles, Ed and Dee Dee get back, and Michael tells them what he's done, and that Aggie doesn't want anything to do with him. Michael, no, shouts Ed. Eventually, he does speak to Aggie himself, but Michael spoke the truth. Aggie has washed her hands of him. 
Good. So Dee Dee and Ed talked together and he admits that everything he told the police was true. But while he didn't set the builder's yard on fire, he didn't exactly do anything to stop it. His sleeping bag had caught fire. He could have grabbed the extinguisher, but he didn't. He thought about staying there and letting the fire consume him, but instead he went for chips. (laughs) As one does when having suicidal thoughts. Death or chips? Cake. (laughs) Dee Dee is unimpressed by this, thinking he was planning on being hero of the hour when he returned from the chippy to raise the alarm. Michael is right. He just staggers around, causing chaos. She's so disappointed, and he expects her to keep his secret, except he doesn't. He's past caring. But she will keep the secret because Aggie's been through enough and she is also done with him. Because why? Why would you keep the secret? And why are they so mad at Michael for telling his mother the truth? Seriously, Aggie should have been told... Michael, ab- no! <laughs> you sound more like Ray Romano there the second time. That sounded closer to it in my head. <laughs> Michael, no! No, I didn't, I didn't. That no, like you somebody. Are- on Emmerdale Farm. Yeah, you you keep getting more and more Ray Romano-ish, just without as much nose. Aggie should have been told about all of this weeks ago. It's ridiculous that it's taken this long for somebody to say, you know what? Mom should really know about all of the stuff that's been happening here. Well, I'm surprised you're speaking to any of them because she's been kept in the dark for months. Because mm-hmm. Michael's been complicit. Right. <laughs> right. And he, you know... And now he's finally not complicit because a line has been further crossed. But seriously, they should have been on the phone with her before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So does this mean now Aggie is never coming back to the show, do you think? Is that what you're reading into this? That's what I'm reading into this. That this is the way that they finally just draw a line under it. And we're never going to know why she left the show. We're never going to know. Because if we were going to find out if, if she was going to give an interview about why she left the show, it would have happened by now, I would think. Well, uh, it's hard not to imagine. And we've said this a number of times, and I don't want to second guess somebody's mm-hmm. personal life or health or, or whatever, but it did seem that there was a little bit more to this than, than meets the eye. And if that's the case, I hope everything turns out fine for Lorna mm-hmm. and hope everything's okay. Yeah. But... So maybe this is kind of, without announcing it, it becomes like a indefinite hiatus right. kind of situation. And if she comes back, then she comes back. But if she doesn't, then she just hasn't forgiven Ed. But later on, it, it seems that they've kind of hmm. ironed things over a little bit. Let's talk about that. So on Wednesday, tension is still high in the Baylor house in Baylor. And even James is in the picture. Ed thinks that he deserved that. And no one argues. PC Tinker turns up at the Knicker factory looking for Ed. Sure. So he ends up speaking to Michael instead, but only after Beth has given Tinker a big kiss and made sure that he's got a decent breakfast in his tum-tum. Right, and he's a good boy. Bobby accuses Tinker of racial profiling, which... is <laughs> hilarious. actually very, very funny. That was... that was so funny. And I didn't see anybody mention it. So no. Like, am I wrong in thinking that was funny? Because that... It was that funny. That does feel like it was funny. It was funny. Tinker and Michael go out to talk about the fire report. Tinker explains that the fire was caused by faulty wiring, not white spirits, so it looks like Ed's off the hook. PC Tinker looks in the tattoo parlour, the salon and the women's health clinic at the community centre, but finally finds Ed in Nina's roles and gives them the good news and apologises for racially profiling him the other day. No harm, no foul, says Ed. It's not like it's the first time, Tinker. 
Back home, Michael is hyperventilating as he tries to apologise and justify calling Aggie and James and telling them that Ed is a gambling twat. He should have known that Ed wouldn't have stooped so low and he also shouldn't have wished Ed dead. Ed is more than willing to forgive and he just wants Michael's trust back. Later, Michael has spoken to Aggie and James and tried to smooth things over and that's helped a little bit, apparently. Privately, Dee Dee reminds him that he can't tell anyone the truth now. And that's as far as we get with that this Which week. is just ridiculous. Poor Michael is being gaslit by his own family. Who's, and he's eventually going to find out. Right, yeah. Because everyone finds out eventually. Right. I mean, I do like this story, and I didn't beforehand, I didn't like seeing Ed have this temptation, uh, but I do like... I do like that it's gone in this direction. It's given the Baileys finally something to do that isn't race-based or homophobia-based and is like a little... has a bit more interest and, and bite to it. I've been seeing some, some complaints about the quality of the acting here. I think both uh, Ed and Michael have done really great jobs. Michael's, mm. in particular, when he's hyperventilating... Yeah. And he's panicking as he's right. as he's dealing with his grief and his shock. It's like right. this, is, Both this times. is really, really good to you. Right, it's really intense. I think he's great. Yeah, I think so too. That's Ryan Russell. Yes. Doing a, a good job there, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. But while I'm enjoying it and while it's it's keeping my interest and it, it detracts from the other storylines that I'm not really enjoying as much. I felt really bad that the thing that I was focusing on was why did Tinker go to the knicker factory looking for Ed? Seriously. Just Did just, you think that Ed's taken up sewing knickers now that the builder's yard's burnt down? I don't know. I think I, I thought it was just to ask Michael where Ed might be. Because I guess but this he is wasn't go- at home. Let's this is between the police and Ed. Right. So it has nothing to do with Michael. So going to tell Michael this right. didn't feel right either. No, but has Tinker ever been a good cop? <laughs> well, no, obviously. Okay, then. But just... Lower your a expectations. A strange place to, to go to expect to find Ed. Yeah, that would be that would be sad if this is how, how Aggie's gone out of it, but we do end up getting more and more of these big, pivotal moments for the Bailey family where... She's not there. Right. And the longer that that goes on, and the longer that the aunt, there's nobody else that can look after this aunt that can give her, like, a day off to come back to Weatherfield and right. stuff. The more it just feels like this is, yeah, it's, it, it, it maybe is something that's a little bit more longer term or permanent. Yeah. I really hope it isn't. All right, and that said, let's move on to our next storyline, which is just a few scenes from Monday. The Parting... Of the Moses. On Monday, Billy meets Todd in Nina's roles and passes on the bad news about Moses. Boo. He's been suspended, thanks to that Bernie. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bernie's cleaning up the god flat in an attempt to cleanse her karma. She thinks it would still be worth calling the PA agency about Moses, but it seems they're determined to assign Paul with a new Moses. Right. So Todd is having lunch with Moses and the Rovers and Moses thinks this is the end for him in Weatherfield and he's moving to that London to wash cars with his cousin. Todd is crushed. Just like Rana. But doesn't say London. Which is a shame. I'm glad that he didn't. Todd has a go at Bernie later about Moses fucking off to that London and Bernie insists that she was just trying to help. 
and will apologise until people believe her. She just wanted to keep Paul happy, so Todd cools his jets a little bit. And that's all that happened in that. I can't see Moses going to London. What's the point? London? What was the point? Yeah, it does. Well, and maybe this is the point. Maybe the point is is that immigrants are treated very poorly and are have massive expectations put on them. And well, I don't think it's just immigrants. I think it's right. people who work in the sector and care. Right, yes, which are predominantly immigrants. But this one specifically is an immigrant. And then when things like this happen, then they have to take jobs that are not in their field, like washing cars. Going all the way to London to wash cars. That's where his cousin is. I don't, I don't know that you'd introduce the character to... To be in it for like two or three episodes, it was to like kind of spark up. It wasn't. It wasn't a lot more than that. Then to spark up a bit of a relationship with Todd that looked like it could have been quite fun, and then just to leave. I don't know. Until he leaves, as far as I'm concerned, he's staying for a bit longer than that. Hmm. Something's going to happen that they're going to decide to give him his job back. Somebody's going yeah, to protest be, or whatever. And that will be unrealistic. A little bit, but then this is a fictitious show. It is. I just expect Todd being an undertaker and Moses being a carer for terminally ill people that uh-huh. one of them should have a job that has a few more chuckles in it, don't you think? I think there's comedy gold in this relationship. What are you talking about? I suppose. I just, I don't know. It's nothing to do really with the chemistry between them because obviously I think Todd could have chemistry with a brick wall. Eh. Don't you think? Well, Billy. <laughs> was good. That's and that's exactly why I went. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, I, I think there's just something about it. That just well, well, maybe something a bit cheerier would be better for Todd. But I anyway. think Todd makes his own cheer. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Mm. Moving on, our next storyline is the Simon doesn't fall far from the Peter. <laughs> on Monday, Simon wakes up in his own filth and mess from the night before. He's drizzled bistro documents with booze that he has to hide when a tearful Nick. Uh, comes in and can't find them. Nick is looking for the documentation, so Simon offers to print the offer him. You're a lifesaver, says Nick. And off he goes. So Simon arrives at the bistro with his freshly printed documents. He offers his services, but no one needs anything printed, so he leaves. Leanne wants to give him a job, but Nick sobs that they're overstaffed as it is. Maybe Carla will take him back. So Leanne goes to see Carla at the factory, despite not working at the factory, and they agree that Simon should be their number one priority, or at least somewhere in the top 20. Leanne says that he needs direction and begs for her to give him his job back. And in the roles, Simon meets up with Carla. He understands why she let him go and he's, he's very pragmatic about it. She says that she's been thinking about this whole thing and offers him a second chance. But he has to turn it down because Peter has offered him a place on the boat. So he's fucking off to do that right now. Ha ha! Simon goes and tells lots of other people that he's going with Peter on the boat. Does he? But then, yes, he tells Leanne and, and, and a tearful, tearful, tearful Ben Price. So Simon heads to Leanne's and is finishing packing when he gets a call from Peter to tell him that there isn't a place on the boat after all. Well, that lasted three whole scenes in the show. <laughs> Simon is crushed and tells his dad to, Just go like Rana. F- to go fuck himself. He's given up. That's absolutely what he should have said. Well, that he, is he absolutely did, what he should have said. He did kind of. He did basically it's, say that, okay, we're done. We're done. Bye. And hangs up. Bravo to the show for making me care about Simon. Because this poor kid. What the hell, man? 
first you ditch your kid to go on a boat and you don't even say goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. You don't put forth the effort to find him to say goodbye to him. And then yeah, the, well, you, let's let's you just get, let's let's just let that settle just for a minute because that's precisely what he did. His one and only right, his firstborn right is somewhere in town. We right. don't know where he is. They can't be ours to find him. And rather than hanging about for an extra half hour, right, he just leaves. He just fucks off. I don't think he even leaves a voicemail to Simon to say goodbye and I'm sorry I couldn't find you. It never crossed his mind Nothing. To, to hang around for an extra 15 Nothing. minutes. Nothing. And in that whole tearful scene with him and Carla, not once does he say, but what about Simon? <laughs> no thought is given to Simon. And then, seemingly, Peter gets a little bit of guilt and offers him a job on the boat but he does it without checking with his boss first. Mm-hmm. And then his fucking boss instead of saying, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's bring your kid on. I'm sure he's missing you an awful lot. That would be wonderful. The boss says, nah, I'd rather get somebody else. My, his niece. And, and Peter can't convince this guy. No, wait, I don't think it's safe for your niece to be alone here with a whole bunch of men on a boat. That's a terrible idea. Please take my son. I miss him so much. Maybe everyone on the boat's gay. Peter's not gay. He is now. <laughs> and we've also seen him go after younger women before. Let's not forget Abby. They're, they're sailing the seven seas form. on their big gay ship, There's singing show tunes. form there. Now that's poor a show. F- that's a show. Poor fucking Simon. What the hell? Why does the show hate this kid so much? Oh, well, we're, at the point here, we're just piling more and more misery on the Simon. Right, so that he'll die of alcohol poisoning in a couple of weeks. Right. right. So long as there's a plan, I'm, right. I'm good with that. So Leanne suggests maybe you should take up Carla's offer after all. So Simon goes round to the bistro to speak to Carla, but she's already with Bobby. Bobby! Bobby! That Phone! boy. That boy ain't right. And Carla has... Was that Ozzy Osbourne again? No, that was Hank Hill. Obviously. And Carla has offered Bobby a full-time job. So Simon, seeing this, changes his mind and leaves. So yet right. more misery. And he also he here. also overhears Carla saying that Peter did her a favor by taking Simon on, which to Simon's ears sounds horrible. Yeah. So Wednesday over breakfast, Leanne thinks Carla should give her uh, should give Simon his, his job back, but doesn't see the point. Ugh. Over breakfast, Leanne thinks Carla should give him his job back, but he doesn't see the point as Bobby has been made full time. So Leanne tells Nick that Simon will need to get a job at the bistro. Nick isn't keen on Simon in general, it seems, and thinks and bursts should, into tears. Thinks that he should try the job center, but Leanne doesn't see the point in that if his own stepmother won't give him a job. I don't think. I don't think that's a crucial factor in going to the job centre. No, no. His own stepmother and his own stepfather. So Nick agrees. Why does everybody hate Simon? Not not his stepfather. Yeah. His father. Well, and also his stepfather. Yeah. Even though I guess Leanne and Nick aren't married. I keep thinking that they are, but they're not. They're because not. Leanne, Because later Leanne snaps at, at Bobby saying 
<laughs> Ms. Lots and phone for you. Ms. and Battersby. So she makes a point of that. But he calls her Mrs. Barlow. Yeah, which is weird. Because Simon is a Barlow. So I guess he just assumes okay, that she it. kept okay, that makes Peter's sense. name, which is weird, considering that Leanne adopted Simon. Leanne isn't his biological mother. His biological mother is dead because all biological mothers are dead on this show. Yeah. Or Sarah. <laughs> She's like the cradle of creation. <laughs> so... Yeah, so Nick eventually agrees. At the factory, Bobby is turning on the charm with the clients. They love a bit of Bobby in the morning. Who doesn't? Michael warns him about making offers below the minimum, though, and I thought that was going to become a thing, but it doesn't seem to. It it may later on. And also, Michael warns him about becoming too familiar with clients. In the rovers, Carla gives Simon a going-away wad of cash, but then learns that he isn't leaving after all. Initially, she thinks he turned it down, but then it works out that Peter must have stuffed him. So in the bistro, Bobby is bragging about making cheap deals and he and Simon make plans to get wrecked there after closing time. Later, Simon chats with Toya about the bistro job and she advises him to keep his head down and go on with his work and impress people and be aware that there's CCTV everywhere. Right, yes. Good to know, says Simon. But later... And yet he forgets. When Nick and Leanne leave, Simon and Bobby to lock up for the night. The two of them instantly help themselves to some beers in the fridge. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I mean, I'm glad they're friends now. I'm glad Bobby and and Simon have one another now, Mm -hmm. it seems. Although Bobby's been a very bad influence on Simon, who does not need an awful lot of encouragement to fall off a cliff. Well, see, I think what Bobby's probably doing is just... Is it just regular binge drinking... Because there's binge drinking, there's, well, I was going to say there's binge drinking and there's problematic binge drinking. All binge drinking is problematic. Absolutely. Drinking. But, you know, Bobby's just going out and having some beers and it's not right. yeah, too but, much hassle. But the whole, hey, let's have some beers after they clo- after we close up, that's, that's problematic. And that was Bobby's idea, not Simon's. It was. Simon just goes along with it because he's desperate for a friend. Desperate for someone to listen to him, yeah. Desperate for someone to love him. Oh, so very desperate. Poor son. When Carla realizes that Peter has once again broken his son's heart, she's just like, she she just draws him into a hug and mm-hmm. as he starts to softly cry. And you're just like, you feel for the kids so much. Yeah. They've kind of done this pretty well, I think, uh, leading up from before Christmas to now, where... You know, we hadn't seen him for a while. He's drinking a bit, or he's talking about going to the pub quite a bit. And I think we spotted fairly early on that this is some warning signs that he's obviously not fallen far from the Peter tree. Mm-hmm. That's kind of gradual descent here. It, it just it seems to be working better than it did, for example, when Sean was homeless mm-hmm. and everything was kind of piling on, on top of him. The things that are happening to Simon... I feel that the reactions are, are kind of realistic here, apart yes. from when he opened the can and tried to suck it inside out that one time. It was, apart from that, that wasn't bathed in realism, but mm. everything else seems to be, and just his descent into a depression here, mm-hmm. which is at the root cause of all this, obviously. Right. 
Oh, it feels kind of real. Yeah, and... And it'd be useful if that wasn't an exit story. Right. Yeah, because, you know, young men of Simon's age, that is a difficult age to be because you're kind of on the cusp of everything and trying to figure yourself out and figure out your place in the world. And it's not easy. You know, some people are very confident and they know exactly what they want to do. And some people... and but. The majority of people, they really don't. Or they're kind of just pushed in a way where they find themselves in a situation that works, but it's not necessarily going to make them happy. Right. And it feels like all of that sort of thing is happening to Simon here. Mm-hmm. You really feel for him. Yeah, he is, he's painting a very sad, lonely, lonely picture here. And despite the fact that people are trying to help him. Leanne's trying to help him. Carlos trying to help him. Right. He keeps on well, hearing the wrong end of the stick. Yeah. Which doesn't help him much. But people are trying to help. Right. But they're reluctantly trying to help. Well, Nick is. Leanne, I feel, is, seems to be taking on more responsibility. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's a wee shame. I still how, how's, your, how's your uh, Bobby tolerances this week? Yeah, no, I'm I'm absolutely fine with Bobby now. I have no complaints. I've I've been, yeah, I've enjoyed him quite a bit this yeah. week. It was just the first couple of episodes where he was still doing stand up. Now he's actually acting and and it's it's better. I, I do think he's got something. Yeah. I think it's working for me. He's alright. Sorry, you were gonna say something? Now I can't remember what I was gonna say. Damn it, now I can't remember what I was going to say. I just hope they tidy up behind themselves at the bistro. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it's all going to be caught on camera. So. Oh, I know. Toya seemed to be saying that knowing right. what Simon and Bob are going to be like right. on their own here. Yeah. Remember. Remember the CCTVs. Right. And Simon seems to realise what she's doing and say, yeah, that's good to know. Thanks for the right. Thanks for the heads up. And then just completely ignores it. Yep. Oh, well. We'll see if hell mends them indeed mm-hmm. next week. The next storyline is What a Scope. On Monday, Anina's rolls, Bethany is doing her very best to look like a journalist. She's got a laptop open and she's taking notes on a pad with a pen. Right. And she's wearing a fuzzy rainbow sweater. And her chunky jewellery seems to be getting chunkier by the day. Hmm. In comes Daniel, and she quickly shuts down her laptop lid. He's jealous of her not having to go and teach his fucking kids, and she is evasive when he asks what she's working on. Later in the rovers, Bethany phones her editor, and her editor seems to be as pleased to hear from her as I am to see her. She insists that she's rewritten the piece that she's working on, so it's more hard-hitting than emotional. Her editor doesn't seem to agree, so she begs for him to tell her what she needs to do. She really needs this. Right. What do you want from me? And later, Bethany and Daisy low-level snipe at each other about the free Wi-Fi. When Daniel comes in, he's had a haircut and is as free as a bird. And his haircut sucks. He's still keen to get a sniff of the article that she's writing. She complains about finding a quiet place to write, so he offers his place during the day. Now, in this situation, in this situation, Daisy's not wrong. Daisy's not wrong to be complaining about Bethany sitting there using the Wi-Fi and not buying shit. 
I think she had a, she was milking one drink for right hours. forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Daisy's not wrong in complaining about that because not only is she doing that, she's got a whole booth to herself when she could just be sitting at the bar or one of the high tops That's in true. the corner mm-hmm. instead of taking up a whole booth to herself. Selfish, selfish. She is Bethany. a cow. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's an absolute cow. And then when when Daniel comes in and he's like, "Oh, is she giving you a hard time?" Aussie again? <laughs> no, Bugsy Malone. Huh. Um. Oh no! And she says, "Oh, she's trying to." Oh, she's trying to. No, she's not. She's pointing out that you're taking up a whole booth. You're nursing one drink and using their Wi-Fi, even though the Wi-Fi is for paying customers. Mm-hmm. This is an industry that is failing already. It doesn't need your help. I tell you, Bethany. though, the Rovers has fair picked up since it reopened. Mm. Yeah. All that blood money seems to be working. Yeah, I can't wait for that to come crashing down on their heads. On Wednesday, Daniel catches Bethany, I'm going to say jogging on the street. Right. And what's hilarious is in another storyline, Nick complains about the expensive jogging gear that Bethany has on. Most of it excessive and pointless because Nick is a jogging snob. <laughs> yes. Him and Coulson. Or Tinker, rather. We don't see Tinker jog anymore. Why Good. not? Good. <laughs> Bethany's jogging seemed to be more vertical than horizontal she was bouncing quite a bit she reminded me of black and white videos from the 1940s of people playing football just running about at one and a half speed but still being kind of slow huh i don't like bethany (laughs) so daniel says that he has a free night and bertie is missing an action so he invites her round to get her hole she sidesteps the question and asks for his contact at the Gazette and he puts her on to Zuki Waters. And later we find out that Bethany is £600 into her overdraft. Yikes. That's a lot. Yeah, you don't want to see minus and you don't want to see minus 600 No. Yikes. In the Rovers, Jenny would rather that Daisy wasn't looking so passively aggressively angry and assumes that Bethany Platt is at the heart of this and Daisy doesn't want to talk about it so stomps off. And also reminds Jenny that she's being a bad feminist by by expecting her to smile more. Bethany meets up with Zuki and Nina rolls. Zuki recognises her name in the story when she was getting uh, groomed by that Nathan character. But as far as jobs at the Gazette is concerned, there aren't any. She suggests chit-chat. My great-grand reads that, says Bethany, and she says it's beneath her. Oh, fuck you, Bethany. She's looking for something more like the Atlantic or a proper magazine. Or the Gazette. <laughs> she asks Suki to keep her, uh, her eyes open, which she agrees to do, really pushing the chit-chat chance, though. Later, Sarah has helped Bethany out with some cash. She makes out that she's getting headhunted by the Gazette, but she doesn't have time for them. She's looking for something a bit more upmarket. Later, Daisy asks that Jenny treats her with a little bit more respect, considering that they're both equal partners, and Jenny dismisses her concerns just as Bethany and Sarah come in, and Daisy quickly leaves them to it. She gets chatting to Jenny about Daisy not liking her, and Jenny's mouth has loosened and she starts to talk about how Daisy was a good friend to Ryan too. When Beth comes to the bar, she calls the relationship Catfish Central, 
but Jenny realises that they're gossiping and puts a kibosh on the conversation, much to the disappointment of a very interested Bethany. Hmm. Do you think it's weird that that of all of the all of the magazines and journals in the world that Bethany could have mentioned, she mentions the Atlantic? Well, Zuki mentioned it first. Did she? Mm-hmm. It's weird though, right? I didn't expect to hear the Atlantic getting mentioned on Coronation Street. No. no. Yeah. It's like they're mentioning Smoke Long Quarterly or... Right. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there no British magazines anymore? Or what was that? What was that when I nearly got into that was going to give me a thousand pounds from a story? The New Yorker? No, it wasn't the New Yorker. Nobody gets into the New Yorker. No way, no how. No, I'd written a story about a kid who memorised pi to 120 decimal places. Hint, it wasn't real about memorising pi. And and it was about you. No. And <laughs> this, although because I wrote that story, that did lead me to learn pi to 720 decimal places. Right. And the, that magazine was going to give me £1,000 for it, and it got into the shortlist. I wish I could remember. Anyway, anyway. Atlantic. Weird Atlantic, choice. Yeah. Weird choice. So Bethy goes back to Daniels. He announces that he's off to have a bath. <laughs> Bethany throws up in her mouth a little bit as he goes off, then immediately gets on the phone to Zuki to put her name in the hat for that chit-chat thing. After all, she thinks that she has a story just for them. Yeah. Which is the catfishing And that's story. as far as we get with that. Right. Right. So Daniel but, here thinks that he's, still thinks he's Hugh Hefner. Right. When he's not walking around with his house coat open, he's no. running himself baths. Right. <laughs> and suggesting they stay in for the night. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. And meanwhile, she's, because she's already quizzed them a little bit about the relationship Right. And he gave a very short version of the, the story. Mm-hmm. So you ha- she has some information about it. She got a little bit more information from Beth. Right. Not enough, though. Not enough, but everybody seems hint. to know about it. So she could ask Sarah about right. it. Right. What do you think this other story is that she's been trying to push with her editor? I think it's about Uncle Stephen. Oh, maybe it could be. Yeah. I think that's why she's come home. So she's a bit of a traitor. Yeah. To her family. And her community. Right. She's a bloodsucker. She's a vulture. So this was getting pitched as being a bit of a love triangle. Every triangle is a love triangle if you love triangles. All right, Acaster. But it doesn't seem like like it is. No. This is a story about deceit and betrayal. Because Daniel's going to feel... Like he's been absolutely used here. Right. He thinks he's because he is. He thinks he's putting Daisy uh, on the back burner. He's replaced right. her with a younger model. Mm-hmm. And oh, oh my God, isn't he the the hunk of the the century that he's managed to pull Bethany? Wait, who I, he'd I, already pulled when his wife was dying. I don't know that that whole relationship is manufactured, but it feels like maybe now, at least some of it is right. So that's taking an interesting yeah. little turn. And, and I'm glad that it has because the love triangles on the street, there are too many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially now that we have we have a new one on the street that we'll be talking about in a few minutes, yeah, yeah, which absolutely. I think is going to turn into a throuple, but maybe, maybe I shouldn't hope I think up. it's going to turn into 
Well, we'll get to that. I think it's going to turn into an orgy with the whole street. Orgy, orgy, orgy. That's kind of where my opening was going. It, it, and I'm also glad that, because there was a lot of speculation that, there were a lot of really weird speculations about why Bethany is back on the street and what's going on. Like, secretly, she's in a relationship with Damon as well, and she's going to have his baby, or mm. she's pregnant with somebody else's baby, or, you know, it's something like that. And I much prefer that she's a snake in the grass and a traitor to her community. And yeah, this is the Bethany is, that I know. Is, is a blood-sucking, not, not nice word to say about a woman. Succubus? That's a little too much, isn't it? Is Blood-sucking it? succubus? Oh, there's a certain rhythm to it. <laughs> I. So, yeah, I much prefer this than any sort of love triangle or yes. secret baby or any of that bullshit. It's frustrating how uninterested anyone is on a reason for coming back. Yeah. she hasn't really explained it no. at, at all to They're anybody. Like, oh, we're so happy you're back. And that's it. And then Sarah... Sarah is very easily put off by... Bethany just saying, oh, well, you know, I'm being headhunted. And it's like, oh, there's my baby just getting off to work. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And she doesn't ask any further questions. Right. Which is ridiculous. I do like the, And I also do like the fact that it seems like Bethany throws up in her mouth a little bit every time she sees her mom with Damon. Oh, she's not a fan of Damon. No, she's an absolute cow to him. And I love it. I love the whole... The whole, how many miles did you jog? And she says, does it look like I'm catching my breath? Slay girl. <laughs> it's good because we need another cow on the street because because Tracy's kind of relatively tame these days. And, and Beth is barely in the show. So we need a younger cow. Yeah, especially one that, who is uh, hiding that. From those around her, it's when that when this gets revealed that I think the the fallout from this is going to be quite spectacular. Yes, because this is going to this is going to push Daniel and Daisy back together again. Probably, I, I, I kind of hope not. I, I, it probably will though, because she is kind of longing for him. Yeah, an awful lot. Unfortunately, how can she with his that new haircut, which is terrible? <laughs> quite severe. It looks like Maxie's. Right, yeah. The 1990s called Daniel, specifically the early 1990s. They want their hair back. <laughs> That's right, the early 90s. Yes. Mm-hmm. Specifically. Right, with that severe edge cut. Yeah, I do hope that Bethany doesn't jog again. All right, moving on. <laughs> Our next storyline is Damon on the move. Jogger of the week. On Wednesday, Sarah and Damon have been enjoying each other's holes, and she's late, so thanks about... WFH. But not like that. She thinks no. But not like that. She's not late like that. Oh, she thinks about WFH that she says an awful lot this week for some reason. Yeah, working from home. She has to explain. Yeah, when it's WAH working at home. I think it, either or, doesn't it? I've always seen WAH. He announces that his rental want him out by the end of the week, so a little clue into where he's been staying. Nudge nudge. A rental. Peter must have left Gail all these jigsaws because she's doing one of them on the kitchen table. It was hilarious. David is disappointed that this means dinner will be late. That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I thought about too when Gail is doing a jigsaw puzzle. I was like, oh, 
Peter. One goes out, one, one comes, comes in. in. Sarah comes in thinking the house is empty to raid the fridge and brag about how well things are going with Damon and how this might be another real deal while David lists all the people Sarah has porked. Which was hilarious. And, and numerous. David meets Damon in Speeddale and warns him about mucking Sarah around. Damon makes the same speech that he's a changed man and he wants to be part of the family. And they part as friends, sort of. David is just kind of shocked that he wants to be part of that family. Right, yes. Yes, they they bond over their similar heights. <laughs> and later, back at the flat, Sarah is so impressed by Damon and his domesticated ways that she asks him to move in with her. Yes, after having a really boring conversation about how they both like to be so very tidy. <laughs> yeah, this is hot. Hot talk. How are these two been together so not hot? Seriously. They had fantastic chemistry. What happened to it? <laughs> they it was smoldering. To, and now they wash dishes together and talk about cleanliness being next to godliness. I don't know. Sarah in leather pants. That's what I want. It's a leather skirt, isn't it? She's got leather pants as well. Oh, okay. She has an extensive leather, leather collection. wardrobe. Yeah. But not like that. Quit you. Well, maybe like that. I would imagine so. Is this moving just far too quickly? Yes. Okay, good. Because. But these relationships always move far too quickly. This, it's, this, this sort Sailor of thing happens. Yeah. No, all relationships on the show seem to start very quickly. At this rate, the two of them could be married by Easter. She's going to get knocked up again. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Yeah, before Harvey kills Damon. Harvey's killing Damon, you think? Uh, we've seen the scene where Adam is going to pay him to kill Damon for him. Yeah, but Harvey's useless. Yeah, I, I don't know how much I think that Damon's life really is in danger here because he's he's far too good looking and he's far too going out with Sarah and the little feud that he's got going with Adam is probably enough to keep them both busy for the next year or so. Mm. It would be, I think, uh, a redundant measure to get rid of Damon so early and he no. has and he has returned. Remember, this is right. his second stint this is the after, return. He, after he did a bit of a Bernie. Right. Except this time he's kind of come back and he's... I don't know that he's worse... He's not sexy anymore. But he's kind of lost a little bit of that sexiness by yeah. not killing Adam. Right. And also just being boring now and not threatening to kill people. And being including so, his own son. And being so fallen head over heels for Sarah. That doesn't work well with this no. gangster image. No. This is really boring. He has become a bit boring. He's he's more fun now with Ed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree to that. And David, I liked the two of them chatting together at the, at the, um, getting their takeaway, mm -hmm. you know, because it's very cute because they're so short. Is this, is this what going out with Sarah does for you? It just makes you boring? Was Adam ever boring? No, I don't think so. I know maybe he was a little bit. He was a little boring, but I think he was a little boring getting into that relationship. Stereotypical sexy Scotsman. Yeah, absolutely. With floofy hair. 
Ah, that's where the the similarities <laughs> sadly end. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final storyline tonight. Yes, please. Tommy OMFG. On ah. Monday... Steve has been out biscuit shopping for Tommy O, all in an attempt to become his best friend. Tracy's and unimpressed. Chauffeur. He explains about how he used to have a porno dream about Tommy O every now and again. He's still pissed off about going to France and leaves Tracy with a to-do list. He seems to have an exercise regime set up for Tommy and she tells him to suck her balls as he gets ready to leave. Tracy promises to phone Steve to let him know all about Tommy O's movements and is about to throw him into a taxi when the man himself appears. And when he appears, then Kirk, Kev and Tim all appear, all wanting a bit of Tommy O. Tracy kicks Steve into a taxi while the others invite Tommy to the pub. Later, in number one, Tommy has been working on the bedroom while Tracy... Yeah, he has. When Tracy comes in for a brew and to offer him from a large selection of biscuits, Tommy has his own stash to be self-sufficient. Tracy thinks this is an indicator that his ex-wife must have been a bit of a ball-breaker. I didn't follow that. Hmm. Then the lads drop in to ask Tommy to the rovers again, and Tracy puts the kibosh on it, and Tommy is secretly relieved. So, Kev... I would be too. Yeah. You don't know these people. Although you probably know Kirk. Yeah, he knows Kirk. And I think he knows Tim. Because of the broken leg thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but But still, you know, it would make you uncomfortable if, like... These three guys with their tongues hanging out, just panting for your approval, mm-hmm. are just constantly nagging you. Yeah. Tim especially becomes very embarrassing later on. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, he does. Kev, Kirk and Tim are waiting at the pub for Tommy O. They bought a pint for him, but he hasn't shown up to drink it. He promised with his eyes, says Tim. But Tommy is still at number one, having a break outside. He and Tracy are talking about the disappointment and each in each other's other halves. Tommy could deal with the rows, but he always felt that she was indifferent towards him. Tracy reckons that he must have been a bit of a lad himself, and he says no one will ever own him again, not even a dog. And then Kirk shows up wondering where Tommy has been and when he's going to shop for his pint. Tracy lies and says Tommy has a motivational speech to do tonight, and that's enough to fool Kirk. Yeah, about, like, grieving budgie owners? Who, who knows? Something like that. Back inside, and the flirting between Tracy and Tommy continues as they sing It's Five O'Clock Somewhere together. Then they chat about the... the Badly. Yes. Then they chat about the con that is long-term relationships. Tommy thinks that people aren't meant to mate for life. He like finish, swans. He finishes up for the, for the evening. Tracy explains how he was the third person in their marriage. And as they fold his dust sheet, they share a brief moment before he hurries and leaves. And Tracy's thinking, add totally hit that on Wednesday Kev and Kirk and Tim are still super excited about the possibility of having a pint with Tommy O later Tommy O for his troubles has shown up bright and breezy and late for work at number one Tracy expects her tradesman to be hard at it by eight aye (laughs) they indulge in similarly low rent banter to the point that Tommy O asks if it's hot in here and Tracy calls it carry on decorating this is just a matter of time now. Yes. In the florist, Toya is eyeing up Valentine's cards and when Mary quizzes her on a special someone, Toya says that she's off special someone's for life and Mary agrees. So she. But then Toya starts on about how sizzling hot Tommy O is and how she'd probably like a bit of that. He can paper her walls any day. What does that mean? The walls of her vagina. 
Okay. Mary notes the interest and then that tells... That would be uncomfortable. And then tells Tracy later, Tracy thinks Toya is a drip and isn't Tommy Woe's cup of tea, the dirty cow. Mary still asks Tracy to put in a good work, in a good word. So later, Toya is chatting to Tommy Woe about how uh, heading the ball can give concussions and mental problems in later life, which surprisingly, Tommy Woe agrees with. In fact, he does work for a charity for dementia and gives her his card. Toya's walls are still ready for papering and probably don't need any paste at this point. What does that mean? <laughs> Later, Tracy makes out that Tommy is a work-shy layabout and he's a sexist pig and probably a rapist as well. Well, they are, aren't they? Disgusted, Toya hands the card back. To Tracy? Yes. So Tracy gets home to find Tommy helping himself to another cup of tea, the dirty bastard. The chat, the chat keeps going until... One thing leads to another, and they end up smooching. Tommy quickly pulls back. He isn't divorced yet, and he doesn't need this aggro. If he's going to give her her hole, it'll need to be a one-off, he says. And Tracy's like, fucking hell, this that's all I want. Kills Shut the, up. This kills the mood a little bit, and Tracy heads off to work, but then, changes her, but then changes her mind, and they get their stringless hole after all. What does that mean? Tommy O's finished his job and the decorating's done too. Woohoo! He reminds her that this was a one-time thing. And at that, Ken comes in happy to see that the decorating has been done. Steve will be thrilled, he says. <laughs> Outside. And then Ken make and then Ken proceeds to bore Tommy O with the fact that his oh, dead just... brother used to play for County. But he's dead now. Yes. And never Scored any records the way Tommy O did. The much lauded David Barlow. Yes, who's dead. Outside, Tommy O is about to leave when he runs into Tim, who begs Tommy to have a fucking oh, pint with him. it's so gross. And the other losers, please. God, for, it's so disgusting. For the love of God, You're says... You're an adult, Tim. For the love of God, says a passing Sally. <laughs> so Tommy O, the lads, and the women are all in the booth, in the rovers, taking photographs and sharing stories. Kirk comes in and starts a Weddy County song until Daisy shuts him up, and everyone comes in their pants a wee bit. Other interesting points of note, Tim and Sally hire Tommy to decorate their bedroom, and Kirk sings a song about Tommy O loving fruit machines, and that makes Tommy look a bit uncomfortable. Yes, I wonder what that means. Fruit machines being a slot machine. Right, yes, yes. I liked the scene that you didn't discuss, of Sally and Abby in the bistro complaining about their men being, like, so obsessed with Tommy O. And we get to see Alfie, and he's adorable. He's so cute. He's, like, not a baby anymore. He's got a full head of hair. He's got a full head of Charlie DeBello hair. And he's so cute. He has a very big head. <laughs> well, so does Charlie. It made me feel sorry for Abby. Oh, that's the part of her labor that makes that makes you feel sorry for her? The head? Yeah. The, the not breaking water in the middle of the woods while high? That was easy street. <laughs> no, it's a very cute wee baby. Yes. I love it when they finally become like... We've seen him before. We, we haven't seen we him. We have. He's been on it before because I think we've I've made the same We've seen him as a joke. baby. No, we've, we've seen that child before. Very briefly. Just, yeah. Maybe just not once with, or twice. And not with as much hair. And sitting up in a high chair. I just love it when they become, like, not nondescript babies anymore. 
and they become like actual actual people. I can't wait for him to start talking. Oh. Or maybe Harry will have a word with him and give him some notes. About soft play. And shouting balloons. <laughs> Tracy and Mary show up while Tommy's at the bar, so he buys a drink for them both. Privately, he tells them about decorating Sally's. Tracy Might says not like that. it's a free country and that she's been thinking about it all afternoon and they continue to flirt a bit. Right. She she's like, I was I've been thinking about you all afternoon. Why did you never have children? And it's like, what? Yeah, out of the blue she asked him blue. why he never had kids and he says that he couldn't. Right. So maybe she's thinking, well, that means I don't have to get any uh, morning after medication. My darling, Tracy doesn't need to worry about that anyway. Who knows? Who knows? Out of the blue, she asked him why he never had kids and he says he couldn't. He looked at his wife and he just couldn't. <laughs> that's that's a, terrible. That's a Les Dawson joke, I think. Or maybe not even. Maybe a Bernard Manning joke. Oh dear. They agree to stay out of each other's way, but they practically have their fingers and their underpants crossed as they say this. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yes. Such a weird question. Just out of the blue. There was another weird question when when Tracy starts asking him about his ex-wife. There, there didn't seem to be much flow to how the questions and answers were, were coming. I don't know. It was, it, was all, it was all pretty strange. Yeah. And like the whole conversation of, oh, I'd, I'd shag a, a trainer and she'd get a ring and I'd have an affair with this woman and she'd get a vacation in Sardinia. Or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, is this something you'd really tell someone who you're papering their bedroom? <laughs> right. Just a client. Right. That's all she is. Right. She's not Tracy from Coronation Street as far no. as he's concerned. Yeah. He doesn't know. Yeah. She's Tracy married to that weirdo Steve who makes an O-face every time he sees me. Who's friends with all these other fucking weirdos. Right. Including the guy who used to be our mascot. One of whom is definitely going to kill me. <laughs> And just one of them tim it's so weird because like you kind of expect this behavior from kirk yeah and steve mm-hmm. and tim kev though it feels a little weird i mean i know he's a county fan and everything but he seems typically a bit more sensible than those other idiots yeah it was hilarious Hearing, you know, Sally talk to Abby about back in the day when she was the one married to Kev. Yes. That was hilarious. <laughs> I loved that whole conversation. There were so many good bits in Wednesday's Corey. I really loved Wednesday's Corey. I thought it, right. it was like there was enough member berries for uh for us oldies to get something from little shots at Albert that we've that we always appreciate and we're so and sorry. The David Barlow, I think, made a lot, an awful lot of people happy. Uncle Albert. But the, I don't think that this is going to happen, but I think it should happen. That Tommy O is going to not just have an affair with Tracy, that he, he is going to have it off with Sally when he's papering their bedroom, where the same thing happens with her. And then I maybe don't see Sally doing that. And then though. maybe he has the same thing with Beth. And that he ends up having an affair with lots of people. And with Abby. And then maybe with Tim. 
and and Steve. I imagine I'm. I would in love my it. mind. I imagine a scene where Tracy and Tommy O are having sex, and Steve is sitting in the corner watching and masturbating. Or not even masturbating, just just there with his O face and his sticker album. Right. <laughs> I See, expect I d- something creepy like that. I don't think that he's looking at Tracy thinking. In fact, he's not thinking this. He said it. Mm-hmm. So many times, this is this was have has to be a one off. I hate that, by the way. That yeah, me too. Because it it assumes right? that it assumes that the woman is like really obsessed with you, when obviously Tracy is not obsessed with him but, at all. But his I think ex- that's why he's attracted to her. But I think his experience of women is that once right once they get somewhere Tommy O, they don't want any Tommy No. Right. Huh. Eh? Huh. Eh? But. This kind of, um, this fling doesn't feel much more than the fling that Tracy had with Paula. Right. It's just a kind of one-off. Right. Maybe two-off. Right. But I don't think it's like a long-term affair sort of thing. I don't, I certainly don't think Tommy O looks at Tracy and thinks that. So I think. No. He, I think that when he goes to paper uh, Sally's bedroom. Right. It's, all right. Next page, same story. Right. Gives her a bit of chat. She loses uh, her sense. Right. <laughs> or whatever. And ends up, the two of them are in bed together. A lot more interesting way this could go is that despite all of his protestations that this is a one-off, Tommy O falls in love with Tracy and Tracy's like, no, thank you. He does the pursuing. Right. Yeah, that would be and, quite and, funny as and well. And Tracy's the one who's like, it, no, it was a one-off. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. But I'm married to Steve. Yeah, that would be good. And I'm realizing now that I love him. Let's it let's was... have that and then Tomio goes and has it off with Sally. <laughs> you just wanted and to have Beth, it off. And then Abby. And, and then, then Tim. Tim. <laughs> it was interesting that Tomio brought up matching jammies. Did you notice that? I didn't. Yeah, when he's when he's talking about how, you know, you eventually become so boring in a relationship, you have matching jammies. Oh, like and I was like, Tracy oh, and Steve oh, yeah. Tracy, are you gonna go burn your matching jammies now? So he's Steve's coming back from France, one would assume next week. Right. Does this get dragged out, or I think a, it does. A, or a quick resolution. I think it gets drawn out a bit. I would. Honestly, just love. You just want Tommy O to shag the whole street. Yes. I think it would be hilarious. And they all catch the same sexually transmitted infection. (laughs) And then they have an orgy in the street on the cobbles, which is very uncomfortable. Well, Sally and Tim and Tommy definitely have a throuple. Right. In the hot tub. And Sally. In the hot tub. And Sally's the one that gets bored first. Of course you will. Which one of their costumes are they going to put Tommy O in? Oh, the sexy real estate <laughs> or Nurse Tommy O? Mm. This is assuming that he wears one of Sally's costumes and not one of Tim's costumes. He has to wear one of Sally's costumes, which is obviously going to be far too small for him. And it's going to be hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Whew. <laughs> I'm getting myself worked up here. 
Tommy. Oh. He's a lot cuter now than he was when he was first on the show. He's a he. He does. He was he, an asshole in the show when he was given uh, evidence in support of Seb, not right. in support of Seb, in support of James. No, in support of oh, uh, ITV Corey. ITV Corey. Yeah. Yeah, and he was also a bit of a dick when James was getting racially profiled. <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, but you know that salt and pepper hair is really working for him. Oh no! What he was okay when uh, he was a pal of James because he he picked on the guy who was picking on James. That's when ja- that was with the homophobia. I think oh. he was. <laughs> He's okay with gay. It was uh, the racial profiling. The racial, pro- yeah. <laughs> but here he is. He's good and he's fun. Yeah. And he's so bloody tall. He is tall. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm he's tall compared to Tracy. Yeah, and. I, don't know. I mean Steve and Right, but with Kirk he's a normal size. No, he's still a tall man. He's right. Still, but he's still he's, taller he than an average man. He doesn't seem as tall when he's standing next to Kirk. No, this this has been a good idea bringing him in. Right. And it's a great idea giving Tracy something to do. Love her to bits, but she's been given nothing to do. Right, except glue herself to the police station. Yeah. Here is a Tracy storyline right. that is that but, allows her to be 100% Tracy. Cheating on her husband. She's not necessarily being, being a bitch, though. And being a cow to other women. She's a bitch to Toya. Oh, and Tommy obviously has to uh, bone Toya as well. Well, of course he does. Because why not? You might as well. She's like actually one of the few single women on the street. Is nobody safe? Nobody is safe from I the I would Tommy love o. it if it went that way. I don't think it's going to... <laughs> But no. I would absolutely love it if it went that No, way. because, Ed, also, obviously, Steve is never going to be sitting masturbating in the corner. It's not that kind of show. I wish it was, but it's not. <laughs> and I, no, I, I, I don't wish it was that show. I'm quite happy with, with there being no Steve masturbation. Right, yeah, but if it was that kind of show, we wouldn't have the bullying storyline, so... It'd oh, be- well... I mean, probably wouldn't have the Eliza storyline either. No. That the show's forgotten about. Completely. I've just jinxed it by mentioning it. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? I liked this week, and I can't really think of anything specific, I guess because there were only two episodes. Is it Michael confronting, confronting Ed? Or is it... Tracy and Tommy O getting their hole. I think it's Tracy and Tommy O. Yeah. I did like the Michael stuff. Right. And I I know despite some comments elsewhere, I really think that the, the acting, the acting was that, good. in those scenes was really top notch. But for me it's it's Tommy O and Tracy getting their hole. <laughs> That's our unbelievably our Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the Damon week. Damon washing dishes. Damon, what's, what are you doing, Damon? This is not the gangster that we ordered. Right. Can we have another one, please? A right. sli- slightly taller. Right. And one that doesn't talk about how he was obsessed with cleanliness as a child. Yes. Oh, talk about a bitter disappointment. <laughs> that is our boring moment of the week. So your score out of 10 this week? Uh, seven. Yeah, I think I'll give it a seven and a half. I really, I really enjoyed it. Short and storylines I care about. 
it just seemed that Wednesday was there for fun. And that's that's good every now and again, just having a fun episode. Don't you think? It was predominantly fun. It was predominantly fun, but there was still some Ed and Michael oh, yeah. stuff. Oh, sure, right. But, which was not fun. No, but the main storyline on Wednesday was Tommy O. Right, and that was fun. Yeah, seven and a half for me. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast. Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, Christy and Shandy. People who love me. <laughs> or so you hope. <laughs> if you've ever had a former footballer, paper your walls. We're but not like that. writing to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen the coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of bloggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.